one-week season. going on OWS fam welcome to the week 14 edition of the OWS angles podcast I am your host I am your guest I am JM to win as always throw this baby on 1.5 x speed or 2x speed and let's get started with another slate that gives us Probably a pretty low scoring setup when everything is said and done. So uh, before we dive in, uh, as you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, I am back home. Good to be back home after 20 days away. Back to a video podcast. Apologies to those of you who have gotten used to watching this on YouTube, weren't able to do it uh, video style last week. Some technical difficulties uh, with login to the stream yard and all that. But uh, we're back up and running this week. For any of you who are new to this show, which I always have to assume that that is some of you, uh, really quickly, the concept of the show. Well, first off, the concept is that concept behind everything at OWS is that DFS is not a game of picking players. DFS is a game of strategy. DFS is a game of roster construction. DFS is a game of game theory. DFS is a game of understanding how to outmaneuver your opponents to a first place finish. So obviously at OWS, we break down the slate. We break down all the games. We identify who the best plays are on the slate. We have projections that are really sharp and help you identify who the best plays are on the slate. Uh, we have player pool articles that help you understand how some of us are putting together our player pools. But the real thing that we're doing at OWS is helping you understand the strategy for each week's slate and helping you understand what good DFS play looks like so that you can put together profitable rosters, rosters that if we played out that particular slate a hundred times, you would make money. And so as you continue to put positive samples into the bucket, you have those weekends where everything breaks your way. And uh, that's why you see so many OWS pennants at the tops of the leaderboard. So against that backdrop, the angles podcast, uh, my, my player grid, which is my player pool comes out on Friday evenings, uh, Seven about seven thirty Eastern, so four thirty Pacific. My time comes out in the scroll, which you can find on the site. Uh, this is kind of the supplement to my player pool. So player pool obviously is just the players that I like and the game environments that I like. Uh, this is an opportunity for me to talk about what I'm really seeing on the slate in terms of the macro structure and how the pieces fit together and some of the important angles that we want to be thinking about as we build our rosters on that particular week always aiming toward first place finishes we don't want to just think about uh who are the good plays on the slate and throw them onto a roster together how do we fit a bunch of these good plays onto a roster together uh, instead we always want to be thinking about recognizing that most of the money is in those first place finishes or those finishes near the tops of tournaments uh, and recognize that there is there are specific thought processes we want to follow in order to maximize our chances of getting those first place finishes week in and week out so with that Let's hit my notes and start working our way through this slate. So first thing is what does this slate tell us in terms of over-unders and implied team totals? So what we see when we kind of look through, in fact, if we are, go ahead and I didn't have this set up, but uh, go ahead and share my screen here. So, okay, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can see we have the uh 
team totals, uh, implied team totals on the homepage of OWS. So we've got the Ravens at 23.75. We've got the Lions at 23. We've got the Bengals at 23. I mean, these are all really low team totals from a conventional NFL game team perspective. Uh, then we jump down here and we've got Bills at 23.75. So they go above that 23 point mark. Uh, Kansas City at 24.75. Chargers at 23.25. Still really low implied team totals. And then we have this 49ers offense at 28.75. So what this slate tells us is basically you've got this 49ers offense. It's expected to score four or more touchdowns, or, or better said, uh, if we played out this slate 100 times, 50% of the time, the expectation would be that the 49ers would score four touchdowns or around four touchdowns. Uh, obviously, then there is broad ranges on either side of that where, hey, maybe they end up below 28 points over 50% of the time. I don't see how that's the case. Honestly, their implied team total should be a little bit higher uh, because given what happens when all of these players are healthy and Brock Purdy is quarterback, what do we have? Uh, like, oh, I don't even know what it is, 13 out of 14 games maybe that the 49ers have scored 30 plus points when all their players are healthy and Brock Purdy is under center. But uh, 28.75, and then obviously there's room to the upside, right? So just because they're going to go over this mark 50% of the time, according to the betting lines, uh, doesn't mean that they're just going to go barely over this mark. There's obviously opportunity for them to go up to 35 to 42 points. But that also brings us back to this discussion of these other teams where we recognize that the implied team totals inform projection systems what to spit out. They inform optimizers what to consider putting together onto rosters and, and how to essentially judge what would be the optimal approach on the slate. But what they're not able to do is say, how far outside of these implied team totals could these games end up going? So uh, kind of looking at this, right, and saying, well, the 49ers are the only team that really has this high implied team total. Uh, I didn't look at the implied team totals until this morning. Now, you guys know most of you who uh, listen to my stuff, read my content on a regular basis. I don't lean into implied team totals as much as the typical DFS player does, obviously, because of my content responsibilities and the, the form and nature of my content responsibilities, part of what I need to be able to do is know these teams really well inside and out from a coaching perspective and a personnel perspective and what they like to do, what they do well, what makes them good, what makes them bad, what their weaknesses are. And so I'm generally, generally able to look at these matchups and kind of have a feel for those without looking at the implied team totals. And that ends up being better for me because my thoughts don't get clouded. So then there are those spots where I look and say, Oh, this this over under looks low. I mean, we had that back to back weeks where uh, Buffalo against Philadelphia, San Francisco against Philadelphia, both those, you know, we were saying bet the over with your DFS rosters, um, build rosters for this game shooting out like this game is not going to be this low total 50% of the time. And when it goes over, it can go way over. Right. So uh, it kind of allow if you're if you're looking through the lens of your knowledge and these matchups, uh, you can kind of see that. Whereas if you're looking at the implied team totals first, that's the first data point that you have. And so it can be harder to break out of what you're seeing there. So what am I seeing from these other games? You know, I didn't look at implied team totals until I was prepping for this podcast. And one of the things that we see is uh, that there are several games that have opportunity to be a little bit higher scoring. We'll touch on uh, some of these games here in a little bit, but um we see that the there are a few different places where games could be higher scoring, where they could break well above the over-under or the implied team totals. And so when we're talking about a slate like this, we're, we're deepening the season. We've got a lot of backup quarterbacks. We've had a season where defense is kind of dominated, where real-life NFL scoring is down, and therefore fantasy scoring is down. Uh, explosive plays are down, right? And so the opportunities for these monster weekends aren't really there uh, nearly as often, right? Uh, and then 
this is very similar to last week where like it's it's times two of what we've seen kind of throughout the season uh and you know last week it was like 200 points was kind of in range to win a tournament whereas in the past you might have needed 250 240 250 260 uh depending on the type of setup and the type of week so this is another one of those weeks where you know what's the difference between those weeks where 200 points wins a tournament and 250 wins a tournament well a lot of times it is that on the on the weeks where 250 points wins a tournament it's that a lot more players are scoring 25 to 30 to 35 points because if a lot more players if there's five running backs who get there and you can only roster as many as three running backs on a roster. And most people are going to roster two running backs. Well, the chances of people getting two of the right running backs on a roster are dramatically higher than if only two running backs hit, because if people are kind of mixing and matching all these pieces and five running backs hit, well, now you have that many more rosters that have mixed and matched the right pieces to get a pair of 30 point scores or whatever threshold we set here. Whereas if just two running backs hit for 30 points, well, you're going to have far smaller percentage of the field that gets both of those guys correct on the same roster. And then you say, what if there's 11 wide receivers who post 25 plus points compared to a week where four wide receivers post 25 plus points. Uh, so similar type of thing, right? Where now you've got five running backs who hit and 11 wide receivers who hit and all these, like everybody across all the, the rosters in a contest, like have opportunity to mix and match these pieces and get six spots right on their roster because so many guys end up hitting uh, on a week where, far less hits, there's far less opportunity for everything to line up on a roster together. Uh, So what we want to think about on these types of weekends is who can post that type of score, who can post that separator type score, and what game environments can end up being those separator types of game environments. uh, And what are some of the mistakes that the field might be making? What are some of the ways that we might be able to outmaneuver the field uh, by recognizing those mistakes and by leveraging those mistakes in, in terms of uh, what we are doing with our own roster. So on this slate as a whole, we don't have that many chances of 30 pointers, 25 pointers emerging from individual players. Uh, we don't have that many opportunities for game environments to absolutely take off. Obviously, there are a few game environments that could take off. So there is that outside chance that two or three of them do take off. There's also that chance that none of them take off. What is likely to happen is that either none of them take off or only one of them takes off. Uh, so we want to be thinking about that, thinking like, okay, if one game environment takes off, how do I make sure I position myself to take advantage of that? If no game environments take off, how do I make sure I position myself to end up on the players that can post these separator types of scores? So when we recognize that, we also start recognizing, okay, what are some of the steps that we can take in order to maximize our chances of getting whatever 25 to 30 point scores are available? So first, let's go ahead and look at the 49ers offense. Uh, The first thing I want to bring up, Christian McCaffrey. We've talked about this throughout the season. You're an OWS subscriber. You've seen this plenty throughout the season, heard this plenty throughout the season. But just keep in mind that Christian McCaffrey, who I like this week, right? There's, I mean, not a lot of running backs who stand out this week. And so then you've got Christian McCaffrey, who's constantly putting up 20 points. He's going to stand out on a week like this. But also recognize that Christian McCaffrey with the Panthers at at a similar price tag, right, would see nine targets, 12 targets, 14 targets. And you, there was that season last time he was fully healthy, was it 2019 maybe, where it was like his bad games were 30 points. And he was constantly scoring 30 to 40 points. And you were paying a 9K price tag, but it was like, well, I'm getting 30 points, even when he misses, right? And he's only getting a 3X salary multiplier or whatever. You're, you're still getting 30 points. And as we always say, 30 points is always valuable. Anytime you get 30 points, that's always valuable. Kind of the, a better threshold to set is about 27 points. So anytime you get that 27 points, it's always valuable. 
So let's look at Christian McCaffrey, right? He uh, Last time I tallied these up, so these could be slightly off, but last time I tallied these up was a few weeks ago. He was averaging just over five targets a game, 17 carries per game. That's not that's not Christian McCaffrey with the Panthers type of usage. That's not old school Le'Veon Bell type of usage. That's not a guy who's seeing eight, who's receiving the ball eight times, right? Getting eight catches a game and then also all the yards, all the touchdown opportunities. This is a guy who really just has to have extraordinary efficiency. So his 17 touchdowns is largely why he has been so consistent this year because there's only so many yards and so many points you can rack up through the receptions and, and yards when you're just getting a typical standard workload. So uh, Christian McCaffrey, if we set that 27 point threshold, how many times has he topped that this season? He has topped 27 points only four times all season. Uh, He has a, uh, furthermore, it's a 28.9 pointer, uh, 20, let me see, let me see if I can find this, 28.9 pointer, a 29.8 pointer, uh, and then a 33.9 pointer a couple weeks ago against Seattle in the same matchup. And then obviously the 51.7 pointer against Arizona. So we always have to keep in mind that 51.7 pointer, now that was a great game environment or a great setup for him against Arizona. But we always have to keep in mind that that's within his range of outcomes as well. So we don't want to discount that. But my point is we end up with a lot of people who kind of flock to the certainty of these 22 to 24 points that you're consistently getting from Christian McCaffrey. Uh, So one of the things that I want to be thinking about on this week, and I'm going to have a lot of Christian McCaffrey, but on my non-Christian McCaffrey rosters, uh, well, and why will I have a lot of Christian McCaffrey? Because there's not going to be a lot of 22 to 25 to 30 point scores available. And so just kind of taking that score and saying, look, I'm probably getting 22 to 25 points here can have a lot of value. But I'll also probably be a little bit underweight the field on Christian McCaffrey. And I'm going to be thinking about the fact that Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, Stefan Diggs. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the show. But some of these other guys could end up putting up 33, 35, 38 points, right? They can have a game like that. And if Christian McCaffrey, if if the people who roster Christian McCaffrey cannot afford to roster these other guys, and if Christian McCaffrey goes for 22 points or 24 points and these other guys go for 33, 35, 37, and are lower owned, you're finding this way to just completely separate from a chunk of the field that's not able to afford this, this higher price guy. Or the people who are playing Keenan Allen at 9K, let's take this huge chunk of the field that's playing maybe 50% of the field, 40% of the field playing either Christian McCaffrey or Keenan Allen, where Keenan Allen in a game against this Denver defense that's kind of held down scoring and, and has been good against wide receivers, like does Keenan Allen have a solid game? Almost certainly. Does he go for 32 to 35 points? Like his chances are pretty low, right? He probably is. He's likely, I don't want to talk down Keenan Allen, but he's likely to end up in that kind of like 22 to 25 point range. So same thing as Christian McCaffrey. So both those guys end up in that range and you land on the guy that those rosters don't have who puts up 35 to 37, you're not only so far ahead of everybody else who tried to get the right score and and missed, right? So everybody else who maybe played Devontae Adams or maybe they played, um, let's say Justin Jefferson goes for 35, right? And he's 5% owned. And let's say Jamar Chase only goes for 22. And let's say Devontae Adams goes for 17. And like these other high-priced guys, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown ends up going for 17, right? These other high-priced guys don't end up hitting. Well, you are like, so far ahead of the field by getting this guy who ends up putting up this bigger score. So that's one of the things that I want to think about on this particular week. Uh, Yes, 20 plus point scores are going to be valuable on this particular week, but we also have to think about how much we're paying for those scores. Now, sticking with the 49ers, the other thing that I want to think about is if, if 22 to 25 plus point scores are going to be in somewhat short supply, well, isn't it likely that one of the San Francisco pass catchers posts that type of score? And if that's the case, 
isn't it pretty likely that whichever San Francisco pass catcher posts this type of score ends up on tournament winning rosters? Uh, so basically, if if there's a 27 pointer from Brandon Ayuk or a 27 pointer from George Kittle or a 27 pointer from Debo Samuel, and there are only four or five scores on the weekend of 27 plus DraftKings points, well, then more than likely that 49ers pass catcher who posts that score is going to be on tournament winning rosters on, on this week. And so uh, that's another thing that we want to think about because we always want, even though we don't want to be in a position where we're playing the guessing game. And if this were a week where there's like, you know what, 11, 12, 13 different guys could end up scoring 30 plus points this week. Like I don't need to take the duds from 49ers pass catchers just to try to get the right guy who hits. Uh, I'll go in places where there's higher certainty but on a week like this, where look, you got a 33% chance of getting a 22 to 25 to 27 plus point score from one of these 49ers pass catchers. That's pretty good on a week like this. And we always want to think about if this guy's going to be on the winning rosters, we don't want to be chasing that and trying to find a way to beat the rosters that got the right guy. We want to instead be trying to position ourselves to be the roster with the right guy. And so the same mindset last week where we were saying like, it's going to be a low scoring week. There's not going to be a lot of blow up games. One of these 49ers pass catchers is probably going to put up a really nice game. Now, different game environment, playing against San Francisco, I mean, playing against Philadelphia, uh, better setup all the way around. But it was the same type of thing where it was like mix and match these guys because whichever guy hits is going to be on tournament winning rosters. We saw Debo go for 38 last week. He was on tournament winning rosters. You you weren't winning tournaments last week without Debo. And so if you didn't play this mix and match game and take the duds with Ayuk and Kittle, you weren't going to be in position to have that first place roster. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter how many rosters you cash. What matters is whether or not you're positioning yourself to get that first place roster. So uh, the let's throw out the game against Cleveland, where uh, I believe Debo was hurt in that game as well. Trent Williams was hurt in that game. Uh, also against the Cleveland defense. Throughout that game, throughout the complete offensive meltdown that the 49ers had against Minnesota. And let's look at their other 10 games this year. So if we treated the 49ers like a best ball roster and just said, you've drafted all three of these pass catchers, Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo. And you just say, I'm going to take the best score each week, right? That's the one that's going to go on my roster. Uh, what is the best score from that group each week? So I'm going to take off the decimals to make this easier for you to kind of register this and just round these up or down uh, according to rounding rules. But the scores in these other 10 games from the best 49ers pass catcher, 36, 22, 28, 24, 28, 27, 24, 30, 22, and 39. So you got a couple of 22-pointers, a couple of 24-pointers. Everything else is like 26, 27, 29, 30, 36, 39. So this is another week where you could justify saying, you know what, in, in large field play, I'm going to just mix and match these 49ers pieces. Uh, you know, and I always end up trying to get cute and try to pick which one is going to hit. Uh, there was one week where I talked about doing the mix and match thing. And I ended up saying, you know what though, I'm going to go 10% Kittle. And like the other 90% is going to be Ayuk and Debo split. Uh, Kittle ended up being the one who hit on that particular week. This last week, I got cute and decided to go way overweight on Kittle, who was the exact same price as Debo. And I had a bunch of Kittle in the flex rosters that could have been Debo rosters uh, and ended up getting the 10 points from Kittle instead of the 38 points from Debo. Obviously had Debo, but uh, at a much lower rate than I had Kittle. So uh, you can try to get cute. You can try to guess. Or you could just say, you know what, let me just spread these out evenly and recognize that a third of my rosters are going to get the guy who ends up putting up the big game and probably another third are not going to get totally hurt by whatever score I get from that guy. And then a third of my rosters are going to kind of be in tough shape because not all three of these guys are going to post a solid score. But uh, and then that third of rosters, like if you like for me, I might be 100 percent Zach Moss this week. Right. So if I'm right on that bet, if Zach Moss hits, 
I'm going to have a really narrow quarterback pool this week. I'll, I'll kind of save the details of that for the player grid, but I'm going to have a really narrow quarterback pool this week. So kind of if I'm right on quarterback, right on Zach Moss, well, now like I have a good 20% of my rosters are going to have the right quarterback, uh, the right 49ers piece, the running back who hits and and you're just so far ahead of the field, right? So even last week, if I had actually gone 33% um, Debo Samuel, uh, I had 40% Brock Purdy, right? So then you're talking about 13% of my rosters would have had Brock Purdy and Debo Samuel. 100% of my rosters last week had Tyree Kill. So all of a sudden Purdy going, going for 30 points, Debo going for 38, Tyree going for 35, whatever it was. That's like 105 points that I would have had on 13% of my rosters. And then I've got six spots left on this 13% of my rosters that I only need about hundred points from these last six spots. I'm going to mix and match them a bunch of different ways across 13% of my roster. So it's kind of this thinking that we can have of like, how do we build for this week's slate to get that one roster that finishes in first place? You know, the, the uh, week that I won the wildcat a few years ago, like I had 19 rosters in the wildcat and only, I think only two of them finished in the top 10% of, of that tournament that day but one of them finished in first place. And the whole structure was how do I build a roster that, you know, if these things, if I'm, if I'm wrong on these things, I'm getting things right on another roster. And so for thinking that way, then we can build those rosters that have that opportunity for those asymmetric payouts that we should be chasing in DFS. So uh, that 49er set of pass catchers is one of the ways we can think about doing that uh, this week. And then I mentioned that I'm going to be probably hundred percent Zach Moss. Um, now this was, I made these notes, uh, then saw the Isaiah Pacheco news, Isaiah Pacheco going to be out this week. Uh, for Kansas City, uh, and then went straight into recording, did the DFS lab this morning, did my show with Squirrel Patrol on Roto-Grinders and started the uh, Angles podcast. So will I still be 100% Zach Moss? I think so still, right? I mean, the it's one of those spots where we still want to take the price tag off of things where we can. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has a 22, I think it was a 22.8 pointer in his first career game with 25 carries. Uh, He had a 23.9 pointer later that rookie season where he had like 30 touches in the game. He's not going to see 25 carries or 30 touches in this current iteration of the Chiefs offense. Uh, His next best game of his career is 22.4 DraftKings points, which he's done three times, exactly 22.4. And then basically most of his career games are kind of 12 points, 13 points, 16 points, right? So what you're doing is you're paying for a guy who's probably getting you 12 to 16 DraftKings points. And at his price tag, that's perfectly solid. And he frees up salary flexibility elsewhere on your roster. Uh, I will probably have plenty of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but just kind of illustrating that it's not like he's some smash play that you can't win without. It, it's the most likely thing to have with Clyde Edwards Hilaire is that he scores 13 to 16 points and people who rostered him are happy. People who didn't roster him are still in perfectly fine shape to win a tournament. He's not a guy who ends up being like, Oh man, if you didn't have him, you can't win a tournament. Even if he scores his 22.4 point ceiling uh, that he's shown throughout his career, even if he scores that, like you're not drawing dead by not having him at 4,200 because the salary can work out different ways. Uh, One of the things I like about Zach Moss is the role is so secure. There's no question marks. There's no like, Oh, but what if they don't end up giving Clyde Edwards? I mean, Kansas City adapts their offense to their pieces that they have. And one of the pieces that they have right now is Isaiah Pacheco, and they've adapted their offense to have this, you know, sledgehammer downhill run component to their offense because that's what Isaiah Pacheco is good at. That's not what Clyde Edwards Hilaire is good at. I think they're still trying to figure out what Clyde Edwards Hilaire is good at. But just to say, it's not like they're just going to plug him into the Isaiah Pacheco role and run the same offense. So they're probably going to throw the ball a little bit more. They're probably going to have more short area passing to kind of, uh, offset the lack of 
rushing efficiency that they can rely on with Isaiah Pacheco back there. And it could end up being the type of game where we expect this role from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And maybe he only gets 12 carries and one or two catches, and he puts up 40 yards on the ground against this Buffalo run defense. That's actually, I mean, their macro numbers look bad. They keep looking better and better throughout the season. Their macro numbers look bad because they've given up some really long runs. There was week one, uh, Brees Hall had that huge run against them. And so they've given up a few explosive runs, but on a per play basis, take away the explosive runs on a per play basis, this Buffalo run defense is really good. Uh, So we could easily see Clyde Edwards Lair have four points on the ground, uh, two catches for 15 yards, right? So you're talking about three and a half points through the air. And he's sitting here on seven, eight points on a team that doesn't typically run the ball inside the five-yard line. He's sitting here on seven or eight points and everybody's rostering at, at 4,200. So just kind of be aware of what the range is on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, because most of his outings, it's not going to be, he's not going to bury you for not having played him. And there is the potential for him to bury you for having played him. Uh, so it's kind of a little side trail on how I'm seeing the Clyde Edwards Hilaire situation. Like I said, I'll have plenty of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but I don't want you to fall into the trap of thinking like, Oh God, you've got to play this guy. He's so cheap because if we can take the price tags off, you know, as, as Hilo always says, once you flip the cards over, once games kick off, pricing no longer matters. Once we flip the cards over, what matters is how many points you get from these guys. And so uh, if you, pay 4,200 from Clyde Edwards Hilaire and you get 15 points, 13 points, whatever. And that allows you to use salary on somebody else who hits. Well, that's a different story, right? But uh, as we've seen this year, hits can come from all over the pricing ranges. And so uh, there's certainly viability to just building your running back pool without Clyde Edwards Hilaire or or building a roster without Clyde Edwards Hilaire and recognizing that 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 could end up very clearly being the path to a first place finish. Uh, So Zach Moss, why Zach Moss? trending toward 100% of my roster. So last week, I spent a lot of time throughout the week talking about all the reasons Zach Moss could fail and the strategy angles to not playing Zach Moss and recognizing that against that excellent Tennessee run defense, there were certainly pathways to Zach Moss scoring below 10 DraftKings points and kind of killing like over 50% of the field. My my high dollar single entry contests, he was 85% owned in those contests. So uh, last week, Playing the number what was at the time the number two run defense by DVOA. It's actually now the number one run defense by DVOA in Tennessee. Well, now we got this week, Zach Moss coming off a game where he played 67 out of 71 snaps as expected. Saw every running back touch as expected. And playing a Cincinnati run defense that ranks 29th in DVOA against the run. Uh, Zach Moss touch counts. Uh, in these games where he had the lead role and and this, let's see, the fourth number in here is where Jonathan Taylor just come back but had like six touches in that game. So I'll kind of add that one in here as well. Zach Moss, uh, in these games where he was the lead back without Jonathan Taylor or where they were easing Jonathan Taylor back in, touch counts of 22, 32, 18, 25, and 21. So you're basically just about guaranteed 20 plus touches, which is kind of rare in today's NFL with running backs, especially a guy who's priced at only 5,900 in an excellent, excellent matchup. So uh, really like Zach Moss this week. And that's another one of the interesting components that this week gives us. Now, again, these were, this is my notes laid out this morning, laid out these notes, and then the Isaiah Pacheco news came out. So we kind of side trailed into one other unique component on this particular week. Uh, That Zach Moss kind of rolls us into... We're going to talk about three of these game environments and kind of in the middle here, we'll talk about two of them and then we'll talk about some potential mistakes that people might make this week. And then we'll talk about one more game environment. Then we will get to our bottom up build. So game environments, Colts and Bengals. So the Colts, as we know, play with, 
pace. They're the second fastest paced team in the NFL. They are aggressive. They have this mindset. You know, we've talked this year about uh, Nick Sirianni, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. When he was asked after their game against Miami about the Eagles kind of using a little bit more of the play clock early in the game there. And he was asked if that was a strategy to keep the Miami offense off the field. And Sirianni got almost a little bit defensive. And he, he said, listen, we will never be an offense that is, we, we will always be an offense that is trying to score as many points as we can, as quickly as we can. We will never be an offense that is using our time with the ball to just try to keep the opponent off the field. Well, Shane Steichen very much has that same mindset with this Colts team that, that he has at a seven and five record, right? With Gardner Minshew under center, a tremendous job from Shane Steichen this year, tremendously creative offensive coordinator and or offensive mind. Uh, and he wants to be aggressive. He wants to push the pace. He wants to win games in the way that the Colts have been trying to win games, which is trying to score points, try to score those points quickly. So they, they don't have a lot of seconds between each snap uh, around like 24 seconds between snap on average so they play fast they get a lot of plays in and they score points and they allow their opponents to score a lot of points they have a defense that gets a lot of sacks that forces a lot of turnovers that has i think it's like four defense special teams touchdowns on the year well how do you typically have a defense that does that a defense that is more aggressive that's trying to make plays and a defense that's more aggressive and trying to make plays. I think uh, I could be wrong on this, but I think the culture near, near the top of the league and fumbles forced as well. So again, this is this mindset of like, let's get in there. Let's get the ball. Right. And every once in a while that leads to a player breaking off a longer run because the tackle doesn't get made because you're going for the ball. Right. Or you're trying to get that interception and it ends up being a big play. So that's why you see kind of these big yardage games against the Colts, uh, these big points games against the Colts, because the Colts are willing to play these high scoring games where they're trying to force their opponent to make a mistake as they're forcing their opponent to be aggressive. So that's kind of how they try to take control of the game as opposed to saying, hey, let's be conservative. Let's wait for the opponent to make mistakes. They say, let's play aggressively. Let's force the opponent to play aggressively. And then let's be aggressive on defense, try to capitalize on these mistakes that they make. So what has that led to? Okay, so in their last seven games, the Colts have had a game against New England. They've had a game against Carolina. Let's throw those out, okay? Their other five games, their last five games, Combined point totals of 58, 47, 65, 77, and 57. The over-under in this game, in fact, I don't even know what the over-under in this game is. The over-under in this game is 44. Are you kidding me? The over-under in this game is 44. This is why we don't get too locked into over-under. So again, their last five games throughout New England and Carolina, their, their last five games, 58, 47, 65, 77, 57. So 47 is the only one that was even close to that. The other ones are just dramatically over that 44 point over under. Bengals last four games, they had a 26 pointer against Pittsburgh, that really good Pittsburgh defense. Their other three games, now again, uh, Burrow was under center for, you know, two of these games, but 65 points, 54 points, 57 points. Already mentioned that the Bengals are 29th in DVOA against the run. They're just, their defense has not been very good this year. They have explosive pieces on their offense. Uh, And again, the way that the Colts play games is this just opens up an opportunity for a really nice game environment to develop. So uh, that's one of the games that is very interesting here. Then we've got Lions and Bears, a game that when I looked at the over-under for this game, the implied team totals for this game, when writing up the angles email earlier in the week, I had to go and search the weather because I was like, why, why are the implied team totals so low? And at that point, uh, it was projecting about 20 mile an hour winds in Chicago. So I was like, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Well, now the winds are down to 13 miles an hour. It's going to be a relatively clear day in Chicago. Not No weather concerns. In fact, I was listening to uh, the PFF 
podcast this morning previewing the week. And when one of the one of the guys read the uh, over under for the game, the other guy said, "Is there is there is there weather in the game?" And they kind of looked at, looked up. They're like, "No, there's no weather in the game." Kind of like surprised of oh, this is a low total for this game. Uh, game uh, over under open at forty six got bet down to forty. So that was probably amidst these potential weather concerns. Uh, then got bet back up to forty four. Kind of dropped down to forty three today. So uh, we'll see where it ends up. But I expect it to keep climbing. Lions last three games. Point totals in these last three games, 61, 51, 57, and 79. So again, we've got this really low total in this game of 43 points, but the Lions, we know that the Lions can score points. You go through their game logs, lots of 30 points outputs from the Lions on their side of the ball, but then also the Lions, you can't run against them. And their pass defense is kind of starting to show all the cracks that we kind of thought they might have at the beginning of the season. So you can't run forces teams to pass against them. And then as you pass against them, these cracks show up throughout the game. And so we've ended up with the Lions just not only scoring a lot of points, but giving up a lot of points. So again, uh, their last four games combined point totals of 61, 51, 57, and 79. That 57-pointer, of course, was against the uh, the Bears in week, what was that, week 11. So uh, the Bears, their three of their last four games with Justin Fields under center, they have scored 26 40 and 28 points. The 26 pointer again was against the lions a few weeks ago. So uh, just another game environment that sets up really nicely where if we're looking for a game environment that could separate, uh, we really like that one. One of the things I also really like about that game is we know who to stack Justin Fields with. Uh, so I was saying this on my show with squirrel patrol on rotor grinders today is like one of the valuable benefits of getting your quarterback, right. Is that you ideally get two spots. Right. When you get that guy correct. And so uh, when you have a quarterback with a clear stacking partner, you get that two for one. Whereas, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten Howell, Sam Howell right this year. And and it hasn't mattered because like the stacking partner ended up not being correct. Right. Uh, And I had like all this. Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas and Jahan Dotson ended up hitting. And then, then I've got all this Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel ends up hitting. And so uh, when you have a, a team like that, where you get the quarterback, right, but that doesn't necessarily mean like you still have a lot of guesswork on getting that second piece, right? Uh, not as valuable as when you get the quarterback, right, you get that second piece, right? So uh, DJ Moore, a guy who has just been mega involved. In fact, let me find my notes for the player grid. Uh, okay. I don't have these in my player grid notes either, but uh, DJ Moore, five of his last six games with Justin Fields uh, have been 19 or more DraftKings points. He had a 13.1 pointer against that great Kansas city defense. He had like a four pointer in week one, then a 19 pointer, then that 13.1 pointer against Kansas city. Uh, and then since then it's been 22 plus points in the next four games with Justin Fields under center. So five of his last six games, all of his games, not against Kansas city in this stretch have been 19 plus DraftKings points. Uh, four of these six have been 22 plus DraftKings points. And that's four in a row that have been 22 plus at 6,500. Just really nice to have that where if you're getting Fields right, you're getting DJ Moore right. Um, so yeah, that's another game environment. That's really attractive to me. And then the field side, the DJ Moore side, also really attractive to me. Uh, Potential mistakes that people could be making this week. Now, when I talk about potential mistakes, one of the things I would caution you on is, you know, we've talked about the importance of not latching onto one negative data point. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've had times this year where I've listened to really sharp people. There's been a player that I've been on. I've really liked this player all week. And then when we've all had this, right. And you hear like, Somebody you somebody who you know is sharp, who knows what they're talking about, 
and they present a negative data point on that player. And they're, they're, they have, they give their reason why they don't like that player that week. And it's because of some negative data point that they've latched onto. And that kind of can sink into your mind and you end up not playing that player or significantly lowering your exposure to that player because you're like, oh, this sharp person who I trust had this to say negatively about this player. And so they're not, this player is not going to hit. But it is still just one negative data point. The positive data points you were finding why you like that guy still hold. So uh, I'm going to preface this next part with, with that because these are guys I don't expect to be playing or at least if I play them I'll play them at a much lower level than the field these might be spots or players that you like so I'm going to highlight these as potential mistakes but also these could be potential mistakes for me and that like I highlight this or I say like hey we play out this slate 100 times this is going to be negative EV you're going to lose money playing things this way but that doesn't mean that that's exactly the way things are going to play out in the small sample size of one week so uh, don't let this sway you too much if you are on these plays but uh, if you're kind of on the fence or you're just getting feel for the slate I think these are important spots to highlight so potential mistakes this week the Broncos the Broncos have the seventh lowest pass rate over expectation in the NFL They love running the ball. They have allowed 22 or fewer points in seven straight games. And in that stretch, they played Kansas City twice. They played Buffalo. They played Houston. And yet, Russell Wilson is currently projecting as one of the highest owned quarterbacks on the slate. I believe currently the second highest owned quarterback on the slate. Keenan Allen projecting as one of the highest owned wide receivers on the slate. So there is this one of the biggest edges we can have in NFL DFS is recognizing that matchup matters less than game environment. And game environment is dictated by how each team wants to try to win games. So I think that there is a trap people are falling into. Probably projection systems are falling into as well because they're not they're not good at being as nuanced about this type of stuff. Of hey, this matchup against the Chargers is really soft. Therefore, Russ is going to have a big game. But that's not how the Broncos call their offense. So the Broncos are going to call their offense that way. In fact, uh, I'm going to have this in the player grid this week, but I would set a rule this week. I won't even be playing these guys, but I would set a rule this week of only playing Russell Wilson with Keenan Allen and vice versa, only playing Keenan Allen with Russell Wilson, because what we need is a game environment in which the Broncos are forced to be more aggressive. That's how now Russell Wilson could just luck his way into a big game. But keep in mind his 30 pointer, right? You look through your game logs and you're like, oh, but he has this 30 pointer on the season. Yeah, well, that 30 pointer came in a 33 to 35 shootout against Washington. So you have to keep in mind, like, how is this score that you're betting on from Russell Wilson? How is it going to develop? It's going to develop from the Chargers putting up points and forcing the Broncos to respond. Now, how does Keenan Allen have his big games? Almost always they come in these 14 target, 16 target, 19 target types of games. Going against a Broncos defense that's been really good against wide receivers, you need this to set up in such a way that Keenan Allen is racking up the targets. The Broncos are getting more aggressive. They're ditching the run a little bit. They're hitting the big pass plays, and this becomes a back-and-forth affair. So uh, uh, the mistake that people are going to make is kind of just building this of like, hey, it's a soft matchup for Russell Wilson. The potential mistake uh, is it's a soft matchup for Russell Wilson. He's going to have a big game. Let me roster this guy. Uh, Or, you know, hey, Keenan Allen – is the only guy they have. He sees all the targets, but it's like, yeah, but the game environment, the matchup, it doesn't set up well for him to have like a 35 point game, a tournament winning type of game. Uh, another mistake that I think people will be making is uh, not a lot of interest in Desmond Ritter actually, but a lot of interest in Drake London projecting as one of the highest owned wide receivers. And the thought process of like what would lead to Desmond Ritter being popular is the same as the thought process that is leading to Drake London seeing this ownership attention, which is, man, the, the Buccaneers are really good against the run and teams pass against them and, and the Bucs are bad against the pass. Now, the Bucs are not bad against the pass. 
The Bucks are average against the pass, but the Bucks face a lot of pass attempts, and that leads to a lot of stats piling up for pass catchers against the Bucks. So, what if the Bucks are not facing as many pass attempts? Then you just have a matchup against an average defense where you're seeing kind of low volume. So the Falcons, not only do they have the lowest pass rate over expectation in the NFL, but their pass rate over expectation is negative 10.2%. And the next closest team is only negative 5.6%. So they're almost double the next lowest pass rate over expectation in the NFL. And that next team is the Bears, who a lot of their rushes are Justin Fields going out there and running around, right? So uh, the Falcons, like dramatically the most run-heavy team in the NFL. And what's even crazier here is that they didn't start the season this way. Now, we know that this is philosophically how Arthur Smith wants to win, but we saw it last year. Marcus Mariota, they're throwing the ball 16 times, 18 times, 21 times. Desmond Ritter takes over, and they're like, hey, let's let's unleash him a little bit. Let's see what he can do. And you look through those Desmond Ritter game logs, this is off the top of my head, but toward the end of the season, it was like 27 attempts, 31 attempts, right, where you're really kind of pushing above what you typically see with Desmond Ritter. And then they entered this season, it was like, all right, let's see if Desmond Ritter can take this next step. And he was throwing the ball 32 times. 37 times, 35 times, 37 times. I think it was a five-game stretch of 32-plus pass attempts. There was a couple of 37 pass attempt games in there, and it was not working. So then these last three Desmond Ritter starts, 25 pass attempts, 21 pass attempts, 27 pass attempts. Those are his last three full starts for the Falcons. Again, this 10.2% below expectation pass rate for the Falcons, that was not the case a month and a half ago. So this is like over the last month and a half, they have like way overcorrected to lean toward the run. On top of all of that, Tampa Bay currently ranks, I think it's 14th or 17th in DVOA against the run. Now they still face the fourth highest opponent pass rate over expectation, but that has been dropping. And right now it's like 2.5% over expected as the pass rate that they face. But earlier in the year, it was like, like just a month ago, it was like 5% over expected was what they faced. So we've seen teams more and more attack them on the ground. Vita Vea has been very inconsistent this year. Levante David and Devin White have been hurt. So that's hurt their ability to plug those gaps and stop the run. Uh, they're going to be a little bit healthier in the linebacking group this week, but we're still in a spot where the Bucs are not the same run defense that they, that they have the reputation of being. And teams haven't been treating them as the same run defense that they have the reputation of being. So this is a week where we should expect the Falcons to come in and try to run the ball. So they're not going to come in and proactively throw the ball. And this is why we've seen Drake London with these seven target games. I think it's like five to seven targets, what he's been hitting in his last five games. And so people are kind of looking at him at, as at 4,600 and saying, and I did it at the start of the week. It was like, oh man, Drake London, what a, what a steal at this price tag, put him on my first practice build. And then as I got deeper into the numbers, it was like, man, really, it's not that great of a spot for him because he's still probably going to see like his typical number of targets. Now he's 4,600, right? So he's not going to kill your roster. And even if he puts up 13 to 15 points, that might be the best score to come out of that price range at wide receiver. So I don't want to like overemphasize this because it's not like it's a bad play, but I'm just kind of looking at some of the ways that people are looking at this, this weekend, right? Where it's like, Oh, you see all this ownership on Keenan Allen on Russell Wilson on Desmond Ritter. And it's like, are you really thinking through what it would take for these guys to have their big game? So, uh, could Drake London go for 13 to 15 points, 4,600. He only sees seven, eight targets. Absolutely. Right. That can happen. But in terms of, can he win you a tournament? Well, in order for him to win you a tournament, he probably needs 
the Falcons to be forced into more aggressiveness through the air. And in order for that to happen, you probably need Mike Evans or squeaky wheel Chris Godwin hitting in this game. So uh, same as I said with the Broncos, like I don't want to play Russell Wilson and not play Keenan Allen. I also don't want to play Keenan Allen and not play Russell Wilson. Like I would play those as a package deal. So similarly in this one, like if I'm playing Drake London myself, just because like, again, if it gets you 13 points, you know, you might be sitting here like, well, why did JM go through all that? Like he pushed a perfectly fine score, perfectly happy 15 points. Maybe he scores a touchdown, right? And get 17, 19 points. Um, but in terms of like, can he bury me for not having played him? How does that happen? Well, that probably happens from him seeing 12 targets, 13 targets. And that probably happens from the Bucks scoring points and forcing the Falcons to get more aggressive. So I would want to play that as a package deal and say, if I'm playing Drake London, I want to play Mike Evans. And that's how I would be approaching things on this particular week. Uh, then the final game environment that we want to touch on here, Buffalo at Kansas City. And uh, I talked about this, I touched on this in the DFS lab. So for those of you who already watched it, this is uh, kind of doubling up. Actually, uh, this, this actually is recorded after the DFS lab, but will go on to YouTube and the podcast feed first. So maybe you're, you're listening to this first and then you'll listen to the DFS lab, but uh, touch on this and that. But what makes Kansas, we, we always want to know what makes a team good on, on defense, what makes them good at what they're good at. And what Kansas City is good at is, uh, I described it in the DFS lab show as Steve Spagnola is almost like an offensive coordinator in the way that he runs his defense in that his game plan evolves throughout the game. And there are, strategic components in terms of, Hey, we're calling this because it sets up this that we're going to do later in the game. And every game he's going to throw two or three things at the offense in the second half that they didn't see in the first half. And, and it's going to play off of what they were shown in the first half. There's only a few defensive coordinators who are really able to do this. Lou Anarumo is another one, even though the, the Bengals have had this really rough year on defense, but Steve Spagnola, it's not, I mean, Kansas City has good personnel. They don't have the personnel that San Francisco has. They don't have the personnel that Dallas has. They have really good. I mean, you know, they've got Chris Jones and they've got some other really good pieces, but they don't have like just that elite, elite personnel. And yet they're an elite defense. And why are they this elite defense? It's because of how much they throw at an opponent that they're just not able to handle and adjust to. And what a great feel Steve Spagnola has for what he needs to take away and, and what's going to throw the opposing quarterback off. So because of that, yes, the personnel is, is maybe the best that has been in the last few years. This has still been a really good Kansas City defense the last several years. And we can kind of look through Josh Allen's game logs to see how has he handled this, the Steve Spagnuolo defense? Because Josh Allen is this unique breed of player in that he can, worst case, he can always just be like, all right, I'm taking over this game with my legs. I'm going to get, I'm going to out physical these guys. I'm going to laser the ball in. I'm going to take some downfield shots. Whatever it is that Josh Allen might end up doing on a particular game, he can kind of break through certain matchups in ways that other guys can't. So Josh Allen, these are his last three games, his last four games against Kansas City. So we've got uh, two, this goes back to starting 2021 playoff game. We've got a, their 2020 playoff game, 2021 regular season, 2021 playoff game, 2022 regular season. So his last four games against Kansas City, all at Kansas City as well. Uh, kind of a weird scheduling quirk for the Bills. Uh, his last four games, 27.28 DraftKings points. That was tw in 2020 in the playoffs. That's his worst game in this stretch. 27.28 DraftKings points, 39.5 DraftKings points. 38.96 DraftKings points and 30.36. So I'll read those again, rounding off, off the decimals. Uh, you've got 27, 40, 39, and 30. And on a week where, you know, I've highlighted this a couple times this week, but like Justin Fields, who, who again, I really like Justin Fields this week, but like 
Justin Fields has a pair of 30 plus point games earlier this year that very bizarrely for Fields came through the air. It was both four touchdown games, one against Denver when they were still really struggling, one against this Washington pass defense that uh, everyone has annihilated this year. Then he had the two 40 pointers last year, largely with his legs. And that's kind of it. All the rest of his games are like 24 points and below for Justin Fields. Uh, Brock Purdy, he's got the, the 30 pointer and the 29 pointer over 32 pointer and 29 pointer, whatever it is, two of his last three games. Then he's got like a 26 pointer this year. And all the rest of the games in his career so far have been like 23 or 24 and fewer points. Uh, Russell Wilson going to be popular this week, has a 30 pointer this year. Everything else this year, it's like 21 and below points. So my point is, we could end up with a week where oh, Lamar Jackson, right? Another guy who you know, he's got a couple, he's got the 37 pointer this year. He had the 45 pointer or something like that last year. Uh, and then a couple of 30 pointers. Everything else is kind of like mid teens to low twenties. So we could have this week where uh, Justin Fields has a really nice game, puts up 23, 24 points. We could have this week where Russ puts up his 20 and Purdy puts up his 17 to 23. And Lamar Jackson puts up his 19 to 20. And all these guys are in like this 20 point range and Josh Allen puts up 39. And so on a week like this, where we're trying to think like what could separate now to be clear, Josh Allen could also put up 19 points. Josh Allen could also have a tough time against this Kansas city defense. But when we're talking about like what could win as a tournament and what are some of our clearest paths, this is one that really stands out to me this week is recognizing that if there's anybody who could go like just totally separate from the rest of the tournament field, Josh Allen is that guy who could do it. So, um, makes this a really interesting spot to consider stacking this week. Uh, again, they're going to know that like, you got to be aggressive. They need this game. They're six and six. And it's wild because the record doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, they're one of the best six and six teams we've ever seen. Uh, and they can miss the playoffs, right? They're in desperate shape at this point. So uh, they're going to try to come off the bye. It's going to try to blitz the scoreboard in this one, score as many points as they can. So uh, I think that Josh Allen is a very interesting way to go this week. Now, interestingly, Kansas city, really good at taking away stuff on the perimeter. Uh, a lot of these games with Josh Allen where he hits, excuse me, we explored this against Philadelphia, but when Josh Allen hits, a lot of times it's not Stefan Diggs, right? Uh, now, after the uh, Allen hitting against Philadelphia, Diggs not hitting against Philadelphia, going back to 2021, so almost three full seasons, Josh Allen has hit 18 times for you know what we would call a tournament winner. Stefan Diggs has only hit in a third of those games. Okay. So I think that there's a mistake that people make where they just kind of auto play Diggs with Josh Allen. Um, you know, two thirds of the time, it's, it's more optimal to not play Stefan Diggs. Now Diggs obviously can hit, but uh, it's interesting because a lot of the times when Josh Allen hits, it has hit over these last few years, it's been Cole Beasley or Isaiah McKenzie, or even Emmanuel Sanders or the tight ends who end up hitting with him. And so we don't have that clear over the middle threat, especially now Dawson Knox coming back. And so we don't even have that clear, like, okay, well you play uh, Dalton Kincaid because he's kind of the guy, guy over the middle or Khalil Shakir. And um, now it's like, okay, they're going to be mixing and matching these, these over the middle pieces. And uh, Gabe Davis did have the 200 yard four touchdown game against Kansas city in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Stefan Diggs did go 10 catches for 148 yards and a touchdown last year against. So it's 30, 33.8 DraftKings points last year against Kansas city. Uh, his other three games in this stretch of these Josh Allen scores that we read off uh, digs, other three games in the stretch have been absolute like catastrophic duds against Kansas city. So his range is all the way from like, man, he puts up 34 points and Christian McCaffrey puts up 22 and they cost kind of the same. And everybody has McCaffrey. Nobody has digs. Like you're 12 points ahead of the field, right? Like that's in the range for digs. 
also Diggs putting up like six points is in the range for him in, in this one. So uh, kind of hard to figure out who to pair Josh Allen with, uh, which is the drawback here. Like we said with, with Justin Fields, if he hits, you know, DJ Moore is, is hitting and potentially Cole Komet as well, but they just have such a narrow distribution of targets. But on the flip side, Josh Allen can hit to such a level that you had to have him. It could be a week where, again, we want to think about what the week actually provides. It could be a week where, all the other quarterbacks score 24 or fewer points and Josh Allen scores 39. And so now it becomes worth it to kind of say, look, I don't know who to pair him with, but I can kind of mix and match and guess who that might be. Uh, so Josh Allen, this game against Kansas City. And, and then with the running back situation kind of opens up, A, I think that we see Kansas City throw the ball short areas of the field a little bit more because they lose this dynamic like downhill rushing to threat that they have with Isaiah Pacheco kind of adjust their offense a little bit to fit their personnel. So uh, Tyree kill becomes a little bit more interesting to me in this spot and uh, Rasheed Rice, Jarek McKinnon, and also Clyde Edwards Hilaire um, kind of these short area throws that they might need to leverage to move the field also increases the chance of it becoming a little bit more back and forth and kind of speeds up the game a little bit because you have more clock stoppages when you're throwing the ball more, uh, creates more opportunities for Josh Allen to hit on his side of the ball. Uh, so with that, let's get to the bottom up build roster. For those of you who are new, concept here is build with a 44K salary cap. Uh, used to just be for us to kind of get a sense of some of the value on the slate. But then we also launched the bottom up build contest. The rules are simple. Play with a 44K salary cap. Uh, and what we started seeing there is lots of weeks where the winner of the bottom up build contest spending 44K in salary was getting 180 points, 190 points, even 200 plus points. We see that from time to time using 44K in salary. And what they're doing is finding very unique, creative ways to fit in as much upside as they can uh, along with this 44K salary cap restriction. So uh, it's become a very fun exercise and gives me a chance to talk about a few players and a few um, angles at the end of this podcast. So bottom up build, we finished talking with uh, Josh Allen. We finished talking with the Kansas City and um, Buffalo game, finished talking about Josh Allen. So that's where I'm going to go on this bottom up build. We're going to have Josh Allen Gabe Davis, because we can't fit Stefan Diggs on with a 44K salary cap and with Josh Allen. Uh, we're going to go Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, uh, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire obviously opening up some nice salary for us in this spot. Uh, I'm going to have, I expect to have 100% Zach Moss. That's currently my expectation. This is Friday, so that could change, but definitely going to have a lot of Zach Moss. So Zach Moss goes on this roster. And then the next move for me was uh, putting Javante Williams on here because I need to kind of uh, work with the salary and, and find a way to maximize what I can do here is Javante Williams also creates some nice leverage off of Russell Wilson. Not that Javante Williams won't be popular, but uh, if he's hitting, then he's kind of taking away some points from Russell Wilson. So uh, Javante Williams, a guy who's typically seen like 20, 25 touches, almost like the Zach Moss touch range uh, in a good spot this week against the Chargers. Uh Couple more pieces. Actually, let's go to tight end. Uh, I put in Isaiah Likely at tight end. Just a really sharp play on this particular week. I have some notes. Here we go. Uh, in the games that Mark Andrews has missed, or in which Mark Andrews got hurt, uh, there have been five of these games in which Isaiah Likely was the lead tight end for all or part of the game. His DraftKings scores in those games. Uh, he had 1.4 points in the opening game of this season. Uh, eight points last week. 
And then his other three games, 19.7, 9.4, 21.3. So that kind of shows you the range, right? Don't just look at this year and be like, man, he's got 1.4 and eight points. Um, does he really have the ceiling, right? Again, he had the 9.4 pointer last year, but then two other games of 19 plus points. So 40% of his games in this role, he's had 19 plus DraftKings points. So just a really nice way to save some salary here at 3,500. Uh, and then gonna get some double leverage here with our cheap wide receivers. Uh, Elijah Moore going to be popular this week. Looks like Garrett Wilson going to be popular this week. I'm putting Cedric Tillman and Xavier Gibson on this roster. So I expect both these guys to see six plus targets. Both these guys have a lot of speed, capable of scoring from anywhere on the field and going to be much lower owned than their counterparts. If they're hitting, there's not a lot of offensive production to go around on these offenses. So if they're hitting, they're directly taking points away from their more popular counterparts. So always want to look for these opportunities, get some leverage to where we're not just helping our own roster with the points we're scoring, but we're also hurting other people's rosters with the points that we're scoring. So with the expected popularity of Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson this week. Uh, these are two interesting leverage angles to consider on this week's slate low owned guys who can get you good points and hurt other people's rosters while doing it. Uh, able to wrap up this roster with the Texans defense, which if you were st thinking strategically, where are people going to spend their salary when they have a 44 K salary cap, probably not on the most expensive defense on the slate. Uh, so getting up to the Texans defense, not only a sharp play this week gives us an opportunity to highlight that, but also just gives us an opportunity to talk about that strategic component of DFS of thinking, okay, if everybody has a 44K salary cap, most people are going to hit defense somewhat early in their build to be like, what's the cheapest defense I can go to and feel comfortable with? So you're going to see a lot of Browns uh, in a 44K salary cap type contest. Now, granted, you guys all listen to this and then go build for the bottom up build. So that kind of changes the ownership uh, because you've all sort of filtered through this, this listen. But uh, if there were just a 44K salary cap that everybody were playing uh, that contest, then you would see, you know, the cheapest defenses being the highest owned or the cheapest viable defenses being the highest owned, which makes the Texans even more powerful because they're not only uh, going to be lower owned already because of their higher price tag, but then they're even lower owned in a 44K salary cap contest. So always want to be thinking about those strategy angles, uh, being able to basically pivoted from Jarek McKinnon down to Clyde Edwards Hilaire, which opened up the salary for me to get up to the Texans on this roster and kind of prioritize that to have that strategy Edge. So that gives us a roster of Josh Allen, Zach Moss, Javante Williams, Gabe Davis, Cedric Tillman, Xavier Gibson, Isaiah Likely, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and the Texans defense spending exactly 44K and leaving us with 6K left over to work with. That does it for this week. Uh, thanks for hanging out. As always, I will see you. I will have the player grid up later today. Uh, might already be up by the time you're listening to this. I'll have it up in about two and a half hours as I'm recording this. So uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably up. I'll have the player grid up on the site soon. Uh, I will see you on OWS throughout the weekend. And I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.